This week on Earn More Tutoring, I talk with Shayna Abraham about her jet-setting life as an educational consultant, the importance of letting clients seek out a second opinion, and the ins and outs of dollars and cents. Probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned has been how to comfortably talk about dollars and cents with families. Because again, that's not part of the training that I ever had. And so having to do the work to see my value was one portion of that. And then the other side was being comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations that you have to have with families. Welcome to Earn More Tutoring. I'm Sean McCormick, the founder of Executive Function Specialists, an online coaching business that helps middle, high school, and college students feel better organized. My guest today is Shana Abraham. Welcome to the show, Shana. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so to start off, I would love for you just to share a bit more about your business and your different offerings. Please, please enlighten us. Yeah, so I am the founder and lead consultant with Prepare to Bloom Therapeutic and Educational Consulting. We are a team of three therapeutic and educational consultants based in both the San Francisco Bay Area and Park City, Utah. We work with families to help find different types of educational and therapeutic placements um, for children, adolescents, and young adults ranging in age from usually 10-ish on up to mid-20s. Wonderful. So for our listeners out here, since you're the first time we've had an educational consultant on, tell us more about what an educational consultant is. And I also know that um, there's probably a particular reason why you chose uh, the two locations. So please tell us more about that. Yeah. So therapeutic and educational consultants work with families to help figure out plans for what comes next when either school or something on a therapeutic level isn't working the way that parents are expecting it to. And so we are, our, our organization is trained from a therapeutic perspective primarily to look at what is going on with a child or what's going on in a family system and then intervene and make changes, whether that's looking at local school changes, looking at out-of-home residential schools and programs all over the country as well as internationally to help intervene and change whatever is happening so that we can get kids back on track. We Well, we chose the two locations because that's where the two entities that came together already existed. (laughs) I don't think there was a lot of intentionality there, although having my partners be in Park City, Utah is really excellent because there are a lot of residential treatment centers that are in the state of Utah. And this really allows us to have boots on the ground if we want to or if we need to go visit with a client who's in a setting in that area already. And then I'm in the Bay Area because it's just the best place to be. No, that is true. <laughs> but uh, Park City sounds nice as well. So so that's in what I'm hearing is that it's almost like an educational consultant is a safeguard for when what well, we expect, right? We, we parents, families, they expect the school system is going to work. But sometimes for whatever reason, you know, they don't, things don't work out. And there's a lot of reasons, right? I mean, we, as we know in this business, there's many, many different reasons why that could be. It could be something the school is doing. It could be just that the student needs a very specific uh, learning plan or setting. So how did you get into this? I'd love to hear more about that. How did you, how did you start? 
So I actually am one of the few consultants out there who knew what consulting was because I had worked with my own consultant to find my college placement. I'm a non-traditional learner. And so finding the right type of college environment was really important for me in this process. And then I thought I was going to go to school to become a middle school science teacher. I went to the University of Missouri with that intention. And the way that their system is set up, the last two years that I was there, I was an embedded substitute in a classroom. And I realized that, holy moly, I do not want to be a middle school science teacher. <laughs> and so um, mostly I didn't want to deal with the bureaucracy of the school system. I wanted to just teach because that's where my passion was. And because I had worked with and for a consultant prior to going into my undergraduate degree, I went back to them and I said, I get it. I know why you do what you do. I know why you help students find pathways that work for them. And I want to do that. And they very kindly said, that's great. Go get a master's degree. Um, And so I first got a certificate to work with chemical dependency because I could do that and work full time for them. And so I would do the chemical dependency certificate on the weekends, work full time in that consulting firm, and then went back and got a master's in counseling psychology after that, before uh, starting my practice in 2011. Yeah, that it's, it's so interesting how the story, it's like the narrative arc of so many of the people on the show is they had that like wake up moment where they were trying something in teaching or their teaching experience was just becoming, I guess, diminishing in its returns. You know, there's a few other guests, they were physically in pain coming from teaching because it was just such an unsuitable experience for them. And so they wanted to create something that was more appropriate for their for their lifestyle or for what they needed. Was there a moment, you know, because I, I that, you know, I want to ask because I think so many people out there are gonna also feel the same way. But was there a moment when you were teaching? Or when you were in that setting where you're like, nope, this isn't for me. Like, was there a specific moment or what What was the turning point? So there was, <laughs> there was a specific moment when I went in to meet with the principal of the school. So I was teaching in a one building K through 12 school. And I come from the Bay Area. I had moved out to Missouri. And the assignment that I had was in Pilot Grove, Missouri, which is not anything like the Bay Area. It is a small farming town. They would have typically about 30 kids in the sixth grade class. And then by the time that class would move into 12th grade, they were lucky if they had about 10 kids left in the grade because they were drawn back into the farming and into the things that their family needed needed these kids to be doing for themselves. And I went into the principal and we were having a conversation about ways that I thought we could engage the students. And she said, That all sounds amazing. We can't do any of that here. And I just remember kind of having this sinking feeling of what am I doing? (laughs) I want to engage kids in learning and being passionate about learning. And I think had I been placed in a different type of school, the story might end differently. But I just had this disheartening feeling of we're not here for the students we're here for the bureaucracy and we're not going to change things. And, you know, being 20 something and, and pie in the sky, I just kind of said, no, this isn't what I want to do. Um, I really want to get in there and help students. And so the shift to doing therapeutic placement work has allowed me to work 
more individually with each of the students and each of the families that that I work with, as opposed to needing to work through the bureaucracy of a larger system. Tell us more about what happens when, you know, something's not working for a family in the school district. How do they find you? How do they know about you? And what does that process look like as far as they reach out to you? What kind of, what kind of work do you start to do? So it's funny. One of my clients years ago said, I'm a cross between the Wizard of Oz and Super Nanny. Um, and I think that's pretty accurate as far as <laughs> where, where I start in this process. So families find me through word of mouth. We obviously have a website, preparetobloom.com. However, more often than not, when parents do end up picking up the phone to call, it's because they've heard about me from the therapist or from a teacher or a friend. They're getting that referral because everybody else in the team, the therapist, the psychiatrist, teachers are throwing up their hands and they feel like they're frustrated or they're at the end of what their knowledge base is. And that's usually where my knowledge base begins. So that initial conversation is a completely free conversation for families just to learn about consulting because most families have never even heard of my job when they pick up the phone to call. And so what we're doing is figuring out one, where are they at? What have they tried? And gauging if the services that, that we provide are where they're at or what they need. Sometimes those phone calls will be premature and I'll be redirecting families to local services that may not have been tried yet. Sometimes those conversations are happening later than ideally because you know, parents have been trying everything under the sun and nothing's been working. And so part of the gauge in those conversations is what is it that the family needs? What is it that the child needs? And is that something that exists? And if it does, then the work gets started as far as meeting with the family, understanding the history from, you know, birth until now, what have been the bumps, the bruises, the successes? How do we take what they've tried and keep the parts that have worked and ditch the parts that haven't. And then how do I meet with the child, depending on whether it's a healthy and safe time in their life to meet with them. Sometimes it's not and help them to come around to the idea of making some changes as well. There's no coercion. There's nothing that I'm forcing anybody to do, but it really, a lot of times I feel like when I meet with particularly teenagers and young adults, they know that things aren't going as well as they could or they want them to be. And so when I give them that opportunity to just share, hey, what do you want things to look like? Where is it that you wish you were in your life? All of a sudden, we can have a much broader conversation around what they want for themselves. And that gives us a lead into, okay, maybe we try something different. And it might be uncomfortable, right? Because change doesn't usually happen when we're all comfortable. And that allows us to really dig into some of these other opportunities. I also will speak with treatment providers because not all of us can see every side of a situation. And so having that outside perspective. So teachers, tutors, coaches, therapists, psychiatrists, getting that really good, well-rounded picture of what is going on with a child also really helps so that we can make recommendations that are going to be as effective as possible. 
Yeah. So that's, it's a very nuanced process. I'm just hearing multiple things. Like first off, it's uh, some, there's some counseling in there, right? It's like trying to really understand the needs and then also help them uh, take ownership over what they want, right? Because you don't, I mean, of course, you'll probably propose certain solutions, but you want to hear them state what they want, their goals, and then you can match that up to possible opportunities. So there's like, you're drawing out their kind of goals and needs, but then it's also, you need to have this deep reservoir of knowledge of options. How do you, and then you also need to, I guess, know when you send them back. So you need to have not only a reservoir of the options of out of the school district, but then you're saying you also need to be able to identify what could they be taking advantage of or utilizing more effectively within the school district. So you, you're like the, the kind of like helicopter view on everything that's possible, which is really powerful because, right, a lot of people don't possess that knowledge. Um, and I'd love to know more about how do you know about what's available for the students within the school district if it's a premature reach out to you? And then also if it's a timely reach out, how are you aware of what's available outside of the school district? Like how do you continue to expand that knowledge? So I really specialize in the out of home, out of the school district options. If I'm if I'm reached by a family that has not tried local options, we're usually looking at therapists, intensive outpatient programs, other therapeutic interventions that exist in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. With that, if it looks like, you know, there's something that is missing in the school that they are, that the child is attending, I'm also making referrals to local um, advocates that can really help a family with their IEP process, educational attorneys, therapists, psychiatrists, whatever we can really look at locally to keep a child at home, we're going to look at that first. If that has been exhausted prior to COVID, I spent a minimum of a week a month visiting and evaluating programs all over the world. And since COVID, we've been doing that virtually. So I have definitely done my best to keep up on that knowledge and Um, there have been an organization that I'm involved with the therapeutic consulting association has provided virtual tours. We started at six hours a week. We we're now down to two just because as everybody else, we've got zoom burnout. Um, and I'm dipping my toe back in the water of getting on planes and going and visiting programs again, because I want to have that firsthand knowledge. I want to sit at the lunch table with the kids and know what they're eating. I want to know what does their classroom look like? What does the room that they're they're sleeping in look like? So that when I'm looking for different resources for families, not only am I looking at who is the therapist, who are the group of kids, what's going on there, I'm also staying with my families through the duration of a treatment process so that I can hear about from the child at the beginning, middle, and end, what was it like being in this place? So that there's really that extra level of advocacy for the child on my part and being a coach and a guide for the parents who were doing this for the first time. That is a huge undertaking. That is like, I'm, I, you know, I know I've, I've heard it before, but just to hear it from your, from you, you know, the idea of flying to a place, like sitting at the lunch table, going into the bedroom, like really kind of imagining what it would be like for a kid who's left their home to go away 
and live in a new place, which is scary, I'm sure, but also exciting. You know, I mean, depending on how the kid's perceiving it, that's a really big responsibility. So, um, yeah. And, and also just for, I'm thinking about people who are listening to this, who that probably sounds exciting to them too, right? The idea of traveling and seeing all these different places and bringing that knowledge back to people who really want it and need it. Is that, for you at this point, is it like just business or is it fun to like see all these places? Like what's that like? And what are some of the, the most, I guess the most memorable ones that you visited? So I love the travel part. Um, I am a travel junkie as a personal hobby outside of the work. So for me, the travel is still fun and exciting. And I think post COVID, I'm hoping that that comes back. Um, part of the other piece is when I travel, I typically will travel with one or two other consultants that are close colleagues of mine. And so it's not a pleasure trip by any stretch, but it is nice to go and see these places and then be able to connect with my colleagues and, and discuss, right? Because we all pick up different things. And so the knowledge piece is always fun and exciting. The connection piece, especially now post COVID, right, is a piece that we've all um, kind of missed. And so I'm excited for that opportunity. As far as most memorable trips, um, I went to a wilderness program in Costa Rica and we went on a, <laughs> a river rafting trip. The clients there were the guides down the river alongside the professional guides. And I got tossed out of my boat. <laughs> And got to go down the rapids without a boat. So that's very memorable. It was an amazing trip. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, you know, there's another one of my very first trips uh, to a program in Utah. I was with um, the, the head of the company and we got stuck in the snow. So there's lots of trip memories like that. There's also... Um, you know, meeting up with friends and colleagues and people and having lots of good meals and laughter that are part of these memories as well. And I think my favorite uh, travel memory was going down to a program in Texas and being able to surprise one of my clients for her graduation from a program and seeing her share her story and her pride and just, you know, to be there from the beginning to the end and hear, hear that transformation, see that transformation. I mean, that's, that's why I do what I do. One thing I'm wondering about for people who want to do this, right. Who are probably listening to this and may have never heard of an ed consultant. Um, it sounds like it's, it's, so based on relationships, right? Knowing people that can refer to you, then also connecting with these schools. What would be the first step for someone who's maybe teaching or doing something else and wants to become an ed consultant? What would you recommend is their first step? I would say reach out to a consultant. Make sure that you understand the full responsibility of the job as well as some of the, you know, the fun pieces of it. It is really relationship-based and there's a lot that, um, that is stressful, right? When you're working with families in crisis, which I often am, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. And you need to not only 
be in a position where you yourself are grounded enough to be that support and to be that anchor when somebody else can't be in that position. I would also say, go see the programs, whether you're looking to be, because there are consultants that specialize in college placements or in local school placements or traditional boarding school, um, not just the therapeutic programs that I specialize in, go see the programs, really get well-versed in what do these schools and programs and places do so that when you start working with families, you can rely on that knowledge base. And then the third thing I would say is find your community, find other consultants that you can be in community with, whether that's through an organization like the Therapeutic Consulting Association or through your local community. Um, In the San Francisco Bay Area, we have about 15 therapeutic and educational consultants. There's even more that are traditional school consultants. And so know who those people are because you will likely be crossing paths with them and leaning on them in the early days of your journey. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm always happy to, to, you know, share my thoughts and and wisdom that I've gained over the years. Yeah, that, I think that's a theme that I hear from so many guests. And that's for me, you know, my, my story as well was you got to connect with a community of people that are, are in a similar boat. So it sounds like the therapeutic consulting organization that you're a part of is a huge part of it. And you mentioned that in the Bay Area, there's also a group of traditional consultants and therapeutic consultants. Do they, are they like, is that an association? Is it just kind of a word of mouth network? How, how do you, does that group gather or connect? We don't really. <laughs> Um, we are all independent entities in the Bay area. And so we all know each other, you know, if a family is shopping around and they tell me who they're looking to connect with, um, I actually, when I'm talking with families, I ask them to speak to other consultants because particularly with therapeutic consulting, we're getting up in a family's business and we're going to ask them some of the most intimate details that we can. We're talking about painful subjects. So I want them to to know that when they talk to me, they feel comfortable and competent, much like when you're meeting with a therapist. So I will ask families, who else have you connected with? And if they haven't, I know who my neighbors are. And one of the things that I will do is suggest, hey, here's a couple of other names. Make sure you reach out to them before making this decision because you don't know what you don't know until you talk to these folks. You don't know if I'm the right fit or if I'm not. Yeah, that's uh, some. Someone said uh, on another episode, they're like, I, f-, you know, actually it was Leslie Joselle, and she was talking about how uh, she's not threatened by other people in her field. In fact, she brings them on or she shares their stories or has them as guests. And she used the word magnanimous, but that's what I thought of when you were sharing that is that like you, you aren't afraid to let them go see what all their options are. And in fact, that's probably a great sales strategy, not that you've labeled it that, but like where it's like, yeah, of course, explore all your options and then settle on one, you know, and that's, and that's how you really know what you want. Not, you know, because it's like, you've tried everything else and you're like, this is the one that fits me best. So that's a good, a good approach. And it sounds like it's a good, a good community to be a part of. One thing that I think um, people will be wondering about is, how do you make it work for you as I, w- I imagine you're a, you know, a, a small business owner or a sole proprietor or a, a corporation or whatever the structure is, but you're not, 
you're not working for a district where they're covering all your benefits and this and that. How do you make it work for yourself and draw your boundaries so that this is a um, a profitable and a healthy endeavor for yourself? It's a lot of learning to get there because my master's degree is in counseling psychology. And the one thing that I really wish they would add to a counseling curriculum is exactly what you're talking about. How are you going to run a business? Because a lot of people do go into private practice and I do have an LLC. Um, Part of the answer is I've learned a lot. I read a lot of business books in order to try and create a structure that is both sustainable for myself and something that is that is appropriately priced for the marketplace. Depending on where you are geographically, depending on the type of work that you do, depending on your training, those prices are going to vary. And so I have had to look at that and adjust that over time. And I think the idea of boundaries is such an important one because my tendency is I will pour everything into my work and have nothing left at the end of the day. And that piece of being a sole proprietor and an entrepreneur is difficult when you have nothing left. And so I have created over time the boundaries that I'm going to hold for myself. And I have also created a community of other professionals that I work with who part of what we talk about is the business, the side of it. With the pandemic, um, the Therapeutic Associ- the Therapeutic Consulting Association created a business of the business series. So every week we're talking about some form of how is it to run a business, a small business during a pandemic that is really intensive. And we're also going through this world shifting event. That has been a huge resource for me, um, leaning on my community as far as having you know, an accountant who can teach me about a lot of things that I had no idea about in running a business, having these business books, having friends who do have business backgrounds teach me all the things that I didn't learn. <laughs> um, and really, it's trial and error, right? At some point, I had to figure out what is it that I'm willing to do and how long am I willing to do it for? The numbers side of things has been something that has evolved over time. And probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned has been how to comfortably talk about dollars and cents with families. Because again, that's not part of the training that I ever had. And so having to do the work to see my value was one portion of that. And then the other side was being comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations that you have to have with families because the cost of being a consultant in this is a drop in the bucket compared to the larger cost of the programs that I'm working with and the transports and all of the parts and pieces that go into the big picture when a family is placing their child in treatment. So that work and having really clear ideas of why I charge what I charge so that if a family challenges that for whatever reason, I feel good at the end of the day about the dollars and cents and I don't get hung up on that piece. So tell us more about, because I think a lot of, you know, that's one of the biggest gaps in 
private work for for education professionals, for mental health professionals, for people. And they struggle with the business part. Like we can teach anything, you know, we can show someone and talk to them and, and instruct them on anything, but actually knowing how to do the business parts, how to have those tough conversations, like you described it, what books you described some books or podcasts, what have been really helpful for you? And what have you learned from those? I am always reading or listening to something. So um, right now I'm in the middle of the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And I love that book. Um, I am, I also just finished, I have to look at the title, The Invisible Leader, which again, really, really love that book. As far as other things, you know, podcasts, I'm listening to all sorts of different things. It really, um, there's not one source that I go to. There are some colleagues of mine that I just find super, um, they're just a wealth of knowledge. And, And some of that is because they've either walked this path before me or because they have such a passion for it as well. And so we have created kind of a dialogue on the side of the work that we're doing around the business structure piece, but also having a good attorney and having a good accountant that I can go to with questions and not feel like I'm dumb because I don't know the answers to these things. You know, for example, when Kathy and James and I put our companies together. They had an existing company. I had an existing company. We wanted a structure that honored that piece. And we had to figure something out because it wasn't a traditional, well, I'll just hire them and be employees. It was a different business structure. And I wasn't familiar with that. So they went to their resources, accountants, lawyers. I went to my resources with accounting and and my lawyer. And we came up with something that works for us. And I think having those people as part of your extended team is really critical when you're starting out and you don't have that background and that training. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. One thing I'm, you know, that I wanted to ask you about on that is that with my business, you know, I'm I I have my 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 other business besides this podcast. And one of the things I'm always trying to figure out is how do I get my employees or people that I want to partner with, or, you know, how do I get us all to work together and buy in? Because ultimately it's best for the clients. It's best for myself. It's best for the team. If everyone's bought in. And I love what you're talking about, how you form this partnership with your colleagues to, you know, of course, probably with the goal of benefiting your clients, benefiting yourselves, making a better situation. What have you learned from that process about collaborating with other people and getting their buy-in what, what kind of um, advice would you give to someone who's thinking about trying to integrate others into their practice? Have all the conversations ahead of time. Think of the worst case scenario. Think of the best case scenario. Think of the in-between case scenario. Have those conversations. Have those dialogues. The, the book that I mentioned before, The Invisible Leader, really talks about creating purpose within your culture of your company. And that's been really critical. Because we can get lost in the work that we're doing and not think about the purpose. One of the other magical pieces for me with Kathy and James and Catherine on our team has really been figuring out what each of our strengths are and playing to those strengths. 
For example, I'm really good at creating systems and processes. And so that was attractive when Kathy and James came on because that's not an area of strength for them. On the other side, I knew that I needed more bandwidth and I couldn't build more time into my day. There's still only 24 hours. And so having Kathy and James allowed me to have some of the pieces of the work that they're really good at handed over to them. And so knowing what our strengths were, knowing what our purpose was as an, as an organization really has allowed us to be conscious in making the choices that we do as, as a company. So not overstretching our boundaries, not adding in things that are superfluous for the company and for the families. And at the same time, really being nimble and agile and adding the things that will add value. So for example, Kathy wanted to add in a parent support group when the pandemic hit. And so we are now a year plus into having a weekly parent support group. And it's something that when she brought up the idea in our team meeting, it really fit within our purpose and our values. And it also made sense given that we were all in this kind of time of being cut off. And so we really wanted to create community for our families as well. So it really makes sense to me when you have anybody that's coming together, that you're looking at what are people's strengths and playing to those and not trying to fit people into boxes that don't fit. Yeah, that's that's something that I'm always trying to analyze because people's strengths are not always like, uh, I guess on the surface, right? Like you start working with them, they're like, oh, wow, you're really good at this, but we don't even offer this. Or, you know, like, man, how do we figure out how to like put this on the offering because you're so good at it? So that, that's such a powerful thing. Looking, and it's like almost also, it's probably better for you as a person, right? To really look for the strengths in the people around you, their values, and then really uplift those, celebrate them, and then also make them part of the financial profitability of your business, like on a pragmatic level. That that's wonderful. So, and then yeah, of course, like you said, imagining the best case and worst case scenarios, and really like, what if we hate each other in a year? No, I, you know, I mean, not that that's gonna happen, but just like, what if we don't want to do this anymore? Well, and what it's exactly that, right? What if we what if we don't want to have this partnership tomorrow? What is the exit strategy? And having some of those outlined because. I don't think anybody enters into a business relationship thinking about the worst. They're always thinking about the best. But if you have a plan for the worst, then when and if something does happen, you know exactly what steps you're going to take. And it makes it a lot more clear in those moments. Yeah. And I wonder, because it's like you could drive yourself crazy imagining all the what ifs and like trying to plan everything out. So how do you prioritize the most prioritized what ifs? Like, how do you choose like, okay, we're going to make a plan for this, but we're not going to worry about that. Or, you know, what, what's your process for that? I don't know that we have a process per se. <laughs> I think it's, it's what we're able to think through. So we had a conversation with some other folks and we were talking about bringing additional people on. And in that conversation, you know, there was an entrance strategy and there was an exit strategy but we didn't talk about what would it, you know, what would the middle ground be if everything's stagnant? We didn't talk about those things. I think we talk from our experience 
and really plan for the things we know are most likely to happen. But if there's a meteor or the shower and a meteor comes down and crashes on my house, I have no plans for that. I don't have any idea what that would look like. You know, however, the flip side is living where I live, we have plans in case there's fires, right? These are things that are realistic that I've lived through that I know can happen. I don't have plans for the things because I don't spend a lot of time in the what ifs only because I tend to be an optimist and I'm going to think that everything's going to end up the right way anyway. So I think for me, it becomes a matter of what are the realistic challenges that I could see occurring and making plans for those instead of just kind of going down the rabbit hole and thinking about every you know worst case scenario possible. Yeah, that'd probably be a tough way to start the week if you're just like, okay, what is the worst possible thing <laughs> that could happen this week? But of course, yeah, being, yeah, like fires and and then also, you know, pe- relationships, you know, don't always work out or, you know, I'm sure all your you and your team have a wealth of experience with clients and there's been, you know, great, great undertakings and then probably more challenging ones or whatever it may be. I, I've experienced that in my business. So I'd like to know what tools allow your team to function or you or your team. Like, for example, one of my other guests shared this this client relationship management tool, TutorBird, and now it's just revolutionized my business or someone else brought in Trello. And I was like, wow, now we can have a workflow management system. What tools and systems have really helped you and your, your team be successful? So... Of course, I am a Google addict, like a lot of us. Um, I use my Google Calendar like nobody's business. It is color-coded. It is ridiculous. Anybody that sees it has commented on, they have no idea how it works for me. I will just say it does. (laughs) Um, We also have a database that was designed for us that other consultants are using called the SRP database. And that has really helped us from... It's a CRM, so it's really focused on and built by a consultant for consulting. And so it has our student profile information. It keeps our clinical notes. It keeps the schools and programs that our clients are at and links everything up so that it's right there on the screen in front of you. And then I think the other piece is communication. So we have a treatment team meeting once a week that all four of us are on. And we're talking to each other constantly. So whether it's a chat message from my assistant, Catherine, that's telling me, you know, she's stuck on this problem and can I help her solve it? Or if it's a text message saying, you know, I just talked to this family and who is it that is the right fit? So we're in constant communication. I think that's really been a critical piece for us. Yeah, nothing beats good old-fashioned communication and just like connecting with people and talking things through. Like you can have all the fancy tools in the world, but if you're not actually sitting around a table or a virtual table, whatever it is, and just like working through challenges, uh, you, you you don't got much. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing. And I'm really curious about that. Um, you said it's SRM or the SRP. SRP. So it's a database that uh, I created with my partner. Yeah. And he's he's in tech. I am mm-hmm. definitely not. And so now we have a few other consulting firms that are using it as well. Super cool. Super cool. Um, so I'm wondering about one more thing before I, I get to a few final questions, but 
with so many relationships to maintain for people, not only the schools, families, the referral partners, how do you maintain those relationships? How do you uh, keep it positive, keep stay at the top of their mind? Like I know I try to send out my email list, you know, fairly regularly. Uh, if someone does something really helpful, like refer to me, I'll send them a postcard, a handwritten postcard, you know, or um, tell us about what strategies and pro- uh, approaches you have for maintaining relationships with so many people in your field. So part of it is attending and going to different conferences, going to visit programs and schools and maintaining those relationships that way. Um, part of it is being a part of the Therapeutic Consulting Association and maintaining relationships with my colleagues that way. And then for our local you know, collaborators, therapists and psychiatrists and teachers, I try to connect with them, go out to coffee, go out to lunch, make sure that we're seeing each other, both to have a relationship outside of the work because we are all people. And also to understand what are some of the struggles and how can I better support their needs? And so that we're really being able to support one another in this work because it is, it's tough work. Last question before we jump into the hot seat, uh, if you're up for it, is what's the biggest challenge you are facing right now? I think the biggest challenge that I'm facing right now is a lot of therapeutic programs are full with a wait list. And it becomes very challenging when I know that there's other clients that I'm working with that really need to move into those spots. Because of the pandemic, we've had this log jam. It is very difficult to try and navigate and understand both the clients who needed to stay in the residential programs because home was virtual and that wasn't a good choice for them. And the clients that have been home that have been struggling and need to move into these therapeutic environments and trying to juggle because I have clients in both positions, both sides of that at the same time. Yeah. It sounds like there's an opportunity too, for some, uh, entrepreneurial people out there to create a really solid therapeutic program and and get some, uh, get some spots open. I'm sure that's no easy task and it takes an incredible amount of coordination and care. But if that's the reality of the situation is that there's, you know, people on waiting lists for these things, um, someone should address that. Um, so I agree. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk more about that. Um, (laughs) so I actually have one more question. I'm thinking of one that I've, I've been wanting to ask. Um, do you attribute your success in your business and, and everything you've done more to luck or hard work and why? I think it's a combination of both. So the luck piece was finding the consulting firm that I did when I did in my journey and understanding that this even existed because otherwise I would have never known that the job that I have was a thing. So that I feel very fortunate around. I think with that opportunity, I've worked really hard to get to where I am. And so I do think it's a mixture of both. So we're about to jump in the hot seat. I got some rapid fire questions here uh, for you. Are you up for it? Always. All right. (laughs) First one, Apple or Android? Android. Favorite book? Oh, that's hard. Um... Well, I really like the book that I'm reading right now about the 15 commitments of conscious leaders. So I'm going to go with that. 
I've got to check that out because my another mentor of mine recommended that, and, and you just reminded me. I want to get to it. Favorite movie? Mm, Harry Potter. Which one? Yes. All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> they, they don't, you can't watch one without the others. Like it's a, it's. I'm big on stories. So what about like the new the ones though? The new ones. Have you watched the new ones? Like the Book of Grunwald or whatever it is. I haven't seen them. Yeah, I've watched them. Those don't have the same magic. I like the magic piece of them. Harry Potter is definitely magical. Like something about it is just incredible. Uh, even the movies too. It's like the book and the movies. Um, best album. American Idiot is what came to mind. So we'll go with that. Cool. Ideal vacation spot. Oh, that one's actually easy. San Sebastian, Spain. Oh, that's, I've never, never heard of that. It sounds amazing. That just sounds nice. <laughs> Self-care activity of choice. Working out. Got to do it. Every morning, 6 a.m. What? What do you do? What's your, what's your workout of choice? I go to a hit gym called Framework Fitness in Walnut Creek that is absolutely amazing. Nice. No off days? Every day? Six days a week. Wow. That's impressive. I'm, I'm feeling uh, underperforming right now. <laughs> um, best TV show? Um, I am a big fan of watching like home improvement shows, and I've been watching The Chateau. Escape to the Chateau, that's what it's called, which is about a couple out in France that are fixing up this gigantic chateau out there, and I'm just hooked. Yeah, home improvement is awesome. I'm 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 working on a couple of projects right now. Now that you said I'm like, I should just record some of the stuff we're doing. Like it would totally. It, it just seems so mundane when you're getting it done, but then it's like, wait, this is like a big industry. Like people love everyone wants to improve their home or if if they're dreaming of a home or whatever it may be. Chateau. Yes. Okay. Got to check that out. If a book was written about your life, what would the title be? <laughs> I think it would have to be, um, well, one of my favorite clo- quotes is bloom where you're planted. And I, I think that, that would be a good title. Shana, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story, for sharing um, these resources and just your journey. And it was so enlightening. I'd love to hear more about how people can find out about your work. I know you shared the the website earlier, but yeah, what's the best way for people to learn about your work and how they can get get in contact with you? Yeah. So my website is prepare to bloom, all spelled out.com. And the Therapeutic Consulting Association also has a wonderful website, therapeuticconsulting.org. Both of those are perfect ways to reach me. Um, You'll find my information on both. Do you want a copy of the book I most credit with helping me earn more tutoring? It's called Clockwork, and I am giving away a free copy each week to a lucky listener. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, take a screenshot, and send your review to info at earnmoretutoring.com with your address. I'll randomly select a winner each week. If you do one thing besides that, crush that subscribe button and join our email list by going to earnmoretutoring.com.